in a world plagued by temptation and darkness, where did it all begin? How did mankind fall into such depths of despair and moral depravity? It began when the first humans that God created, Adam and Eve, were deceived as well as chose to rebel against God, although he created for them a perfect environment with a perfect human nature while in harmony with himself. God, however, made a promise that he would restore mankind to that condition of perfection while restoring our relationship to him in preparation for the restoration of a perfect world and global society. If this is the first time we're meeting, my name is Chris and this is Foundation Bible Studies where I seek to help connect you with your creator in Jesus Christ, both informationally and experientially, so that way you can fulfill the purpose that you were created for. Now, this is part of the Search for Truth 2 Bible study series, and we have been going through this series trying to help us uh, build a solid biblical foundation, or perhaps we're reconstructing our faith, or if you know somebody who is deconstructing their faith, unfortunately, perhaps you can recommend this series of videos to them and perhaps help them help catch them before they fall too far. And so with that, I will leave links to any uh, to the playlist that this will be in, as well as any resources or anything that I mentioned that is outside of the text itself, different reference points I will mention them and link them down below but with that let us get into this lesson and this episode as we look at god's promise to restore humanity to its perfect condition and perfect relationship with himself so in our previous lesson and episode we talked about how uh, adam and eve how they rebelled against god eve was deceived by the serpent and we dug a bit into the serpent and who that is you can go back check out that video if you have not watched it and you need to go back to the beginning of this video and bible study series and and that way you can catch up on where we're at and you can get the full idea of what's going on now as we dive into this uh, one of the things i have learned over the years is that Many of us get taught or we just kind of develop by experience, bad experiences, I should say, whether with the church or outside the church. If we hear anything about God, we learn or we get taught and we quote unquote learn that God is a domineering being. He is a one sided being. It's uh, give, give, give on our part, but there's nothing for him to give or he gives it very reluctantly and it's all on a earn system and the thing about our creator in comparison or in contrast to the gods uh, of other belief systems this is not a earning system this is god taking action on our behalf but him requiring a response uh, and a return action so this is one of those things that i have learned to fall in love with about God is just his what we say his grace or his compassion um, it, it it's a wonderful thing and we're going to learn that in this lesson so God's wonderful promise so the headline scripture comes from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 
and it says i will put enmity or i will put uh i will make you an ad i will put adversity between you or between thee and the woman he's talking to this to the serpent at this point which uh, i've covered in other videos is lucifer um you can check out my video on who is the dragon um as well as anything else uh there's another video talking about the origin of lucifer and i will put enmity i'll put uh ad adversity between thee and the woman between you and the woman and between thy seed the seed of the serpent its offspring and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel and we're going to get i think we get into a, a bit more clear translation of what that means so god's wonderful promise now when we talk about the seed of the woman this is what's called uh in christian terms the proto-evangel the first proclamation of good news for mankind god because he is god he is like uh, when you can go through your your phone and you can scroll through all your pictures uh in in a swipe you can go from up to down or left to right however your phone scrolls or technically however your phone goes to his pictures depending on the view you're in uh god is that way he was able and is able to plan things out and he's able to see how people are going to respond or not respond how things are going to turn out or not turn out and he is able to take action based on what's called for knowledge and so the seed of the woman when we talk about the seed of the woman we're talking about the offspring of a eventual woman now one of the things we find out is that eve as she's bearing children she understandably so being human is she thinks that one of her more immediate offspring that she personally gives birth to is that offspring but god uh, he elongates he stretches out mankind's history in order for us to see the effects of what adam and eve did the the nature of sin that was introduced into our human nature in dna so let's recap a little bit in regards to what happened and this is where god and we went through this in the last lesson this is where god is meeting out or he's handing out or he's holding people responsible he's handing out his judgment just as much as a judge hands out a judgment on a criminal at least back in the day uh some places in our world has have become very lax about crime other places in our world are doing their best to keep a balanced perspective and a balanced action when it comes to how it handles crime not hopefully not handing out bigger punishments for things that shouldn't but holding people accountable and so this is where we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 3 verses 13 through 15 it says so the Lord God asked the woman what is this you have done and this is coming from the Holman Christian Standard Bible I I enjoy using this Bible I can read through King James no problem I understand it that's what I was spiritually raised on when the Lord saved me I I started at a church and still attend and am part of a church uh, I don't like to use that word attend, but still am part of a church under my pastor where the predominant text is King James, the King James Version, 
he will use other versions for the sake of clarity. And so uh, I'm using the Holman Christian Standard Bible for the sake of clarity. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, it was the serpent. He deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility. We're, this is that clear version of that first uh, headline scripture. Enmity. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, this individual seed that is to come, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So we see just first off that God says he's going to put hostility between this serpent and the offspring or the seed of this eventual woman. Eve thinks that it's her as you read through the rest of the story of Adam and Eve. And as we're going to go through a bit, she thinks it's her that is going to personally bear this seed. But we find that that is not the case. And actually, we find that uh, our creator who specifically singled out a man named Abraham that we'll get to later on in this series, not too far off, uh, that he creates or he brings into fruition, he brings into being the nation of Israel through a man named Abraham. Initially, Abram, God renames him Abraham, father of many nations, and God creates for himself a nation that is devoted to him where all other nations had gods they were already devoted to. God is not racist, is not prejudiced, he is very intentional. All the other nations had gods that they had become devoted to. And so God created a nation that would be to be devoted to him and would eventually, God would eventually use that people group to reach the rest of the nations and bring into his group of devotees and children from all nations of the world. And this is part of it because here you don't see God say, I'm going to single out uh, anyone people group. He just says this offspring of the woman, this seed of the woman, he's going to strike your head and you will strike his heel. In another translation, it says he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So we see uh, another two other scriptures under this passage about the seed of the woman come from uh, one is the prophet Isaiah. Another one is the writer, uh, the ambassador, the, uh, the apostle Paul, who is one of Jesus's apostles or ambassadors of his kingdom, as God begins to fulfill, bring to completion or fulfillment, because it's still being fulfilled today, and bring into fulfillment this promise that God made uh, both to the woman as well as to the serpent. When we talk about this seed crushing the head or striking the head of the serpent. When we talk about headship, one of the things to be mindful of is that this book, the Bible, is one, it's a history book. It's not a, a book of fables as so many sadly propagate and promote and tell and spread 
you can look in this book, you can read about events, and you can find archaeological evidence and support for the his for how historical and accurate these things are. So people try to just plainly dismiss it and say it's just a bunch of myths and fairy tales, but there's one so many connections to and I don't mean this in the wrong ways. Hopefully you don't take it this way. So many connections to other uh, belief systems and stories about the origin of their systems of belief and things that happen in their parts of the world, such as giants, such as angels, such as demons, such as divine kingship and things like that. There are so many connections within this book, you know, that that's kind of I don't want to go too far on a tangent, but uh, the Bible is God's history book. Uh, it's not it's God's storybook in a way. Yes, but it is also God's history book of what he has said and what he has done and what he is doing and what he is going to do. So in saying that this, when God tells the woman and the serpent that he is that the seed of the woman is going to strike the head, crush the head. It is a Middle Eastern way because the Bible, the scriptures, God used the nation of Israel, who we today know as the Jews or the Israelis, the Jews, and that's a tangent in itself uh, as far as Jews versus Israelis or Israelites. God uses these writers just as much as any other supernatural being uses those who are devoted to it. So though the, any God, any supernatural being is not typically going to force the person devoted to it to talk in a way that is unfamiliar to that person. It's going to communicate in a way that that person can understand. So to crush the head of the serpent, the head it, it means the leader, the leadership, the, the dominance, because your head, your physical head is the dominant portion of your body. Without your head, your body can do nothing else. The, the portion, there's a portion of your brain that controls all your vital organs. One of the things, so without your head, your vital organs would stop. You don't have to think about breathing. You don't have to think about making your heart beat. Uh, you typically don't have to think about blinking. Your eyes are going to do that by themselves in order to re-moisturize your, your eyes. Uh, your eyelids are going to blink to re-moisturize your eyes, typically, unless you're thinking about it or overly conscious about it. These are things that happen by themselves. You cut off your head, your, your lungs are going to stop breathing, your heart's going to stop beating, uh, which is, of course, going to stop the blood flow in your body. Um, you can't move your fingers, things like that. Because your head is the dominant portion. And so it's representing the leadership of the serpent. One of these days, the leadership, the dominance of the serpent is going to be crushed. Think of a king of a evil king who has, we could look at our own world where you, where we have this global empire rising, this one world government rising, and you get somebody like a Hitler, or that's a good example as well. Get somebody like a Hitler who is the head of a government, and then you have wicked people under him that is helping propagate that government. What happened once Hitler supposedly killed himself? Nobody, that's what they say. Hitler killed himself. What happened? Once the leader was gone, once the head was gone, everybody else fled. 
now on the back end and you can kind of see it um with if you're watching on the video portion you can see the the foot of this person of this seed on top of the head of the serpent and what that means is is that the serpent is going to cause some damage to the seed as well but it's only going to be small in comparison to crushing or striking the head of the serpent so there's going to be a battle i'm getting a bit ahead of myself but let's look at some other scriptures where god brings this forward this this concept of the seed of the woman hundreds of years later uh isaiah lived about 700 years before jesus's time if i can remember correctly he lived about 700 years before jesus's time and so this is maybe about 3,300 years after the time of Adam and Eve on a biblical counting system. Isaiah, God, the same God who's, who created everything, spoke to Adam and Eve, spoke to the serpent, Lucifer, a.k.a. Satan and the devil. Here, God tells the prophet Isaiah about, he gives him more information about the seed. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now, this is interesting because you get a little more uh, details um, about this prophecy. And there's plenty of details all over, just depending on if you know how to connect them, if you allow the Lord to put you in a church that helps you to learn how to connect it, and then the Lord himself helps you to understand what's being taught in that church that he placed you in. That's how it's meant to work. That's how you see it work biblically. And so he says, the Lord himself, Yahweh himself, Jehovah himself will give you a sign. And this is God through the prophet Isaiah talking to one of the kings of the kingdom of Judah. And he says, the virgin will conceive. So this young lady or this un unmarried lady, because of knowing Jewish culture, knowing uh, Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox in our day, uh, knowing their their values, you didn't you do not and did not have just casual relations. You don't have relations until you're married. That way you stay pure. You're pure for your husband, your husband is pure for you, and fresh start for both of you. And so the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now, one of the things I love when talking about Bible prophecy, is you see this come to fulfillment, jumping way ahead. But I wanted to share this, where when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, God announces what he wants to do, or he informs Mary, he informs Joseph of what he wants to do. And thankfully, God is such a gentleman that Joseph and Mary could have said no, but they were so devoted to our creator in contrast to being devoted to other gods or people being devoted to other gods, that they submitted and they worked in harmony with God to, I guess, really to say to help him further his plan because he, God has made himself a partner with mankind. We were created in his image and likeness. And so in Matthew, the gospel of Matthew chapter one, verses 22 and 23 after the angel Gabriel announces to Mary uh, that God wants to use her to bring the Messiah to to bring 
the Messiah in his humanity. That's how they understood this individual, this anointed one. That's what Messiah means, or Christ is the Greek transliteration of Messiah, um, the anointed one. It was a place of leadership, of appointed leadership by God. And that goes back to a whole bunch of prophecies from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We see why uh, we see the fulfillment of what God had previously said through Isaiah going all the way back to Genesis. Verse 22 says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. When we talk about biblical fulfillment, it's like when you place an order at a restaurant or you place an order at a fast food restaurant or you place an order on Amazon. And when you finally get your food, you finally get your Amazon package, your order is fulfilled. What was what you ordered or what was requested or what was said, the desire that was stated is completed. You have it in hand. So that's what when we talk about biblical fulfillment, depending on the word that is used in the inspired Greek language, that's what it's talking about. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, Emmanuel. And here's a translation of the word that God used with Isaiah, which is translated, God is with us. So the one true God, the one individual God of the nation of Israel came down, created himself a human life through the Virgin Mary, through Mary, the Virgin, the Virgin Mary, Mary the Virgin, in, in order to create a pure human life, just like Adam had, just like Eve had until they rebelled against God. But this is to show God's fulfillment of the promise. So let's continue on. So the seed of the woman, and then there's also the scripture of Galatians 4 and 4 talking about the same point. And so I'll, I'll tie the seed of the woman together because it really helps to see how uh, women are supposed to be viewed and, and supposed to be appreciated. And that's what Jesus himself did in proper balance with male and female. And so the seed of the woman, there's the there's the promise of the seed of the woman coming to redeem, coming to to get back all those who are willing in right relationship with God in preparation for some other promises God makes. So one of these things in between the fall and up until the restoration of all of creation to its perfect state, there is what we call spiritual or supernatural warfare. Now this um, this has taken place ever since the fall of mankind, the degradation of mankind into a state of sin, a state of error, a state of rebellion. Spiritual warfare is the whole good versus evil. That's where the whole motif, this is where the whole topic comes from. You had the serpent who chose to rebel, this angel, this uh, cherub that chose to rebel against our creator, and then he deceives one third of the angels to rebel with him, aside from many others that just choose to rebel on their own. That's a different topic we'll cover in a future video. But there's the spiritual warfare, the supernatural warfare. And those of us who have, who have and who actively uh, learn how to get into that supernatural dimension, we know how real this is. We know 
uh, what it means to to have to battle with spirits that use other people as well as those who are on the opposite side, how they have this angst against those of us who who walk and live according to the supernatural presence of our creator when he comes in and he fills our life once we turn away from sin and once uh, either before or after we're baptized in Jesus' name. I was filled before I was baptized in Jesus' name. Some people are filled after. Uh, the scriptures, God gives a historical, he gives historical accounts of it happening either way, as long as it happens. So spiritual warfare, supernatural warfare has been taking place ever since the fall, the degradation of mankind into the state of sin and error. Now, when we talk about the, when we talk about spiritual warfare, this is just as real as natural warfare. And a lot of natural warfare actually takes place because of what's going on in the supernatural. It's kind of like uh, the generals that are the generals, the admirals that are in a war room trying to make battle plans. Uh, they're in the unseen area. And then you have all the infantry, the colonels, the lieutenants, all the, the airmen, the seamen, all the ones who are actually on the ground. Those are That's like the, the dimension that you can see. So there's the dimension that you cannot see that is just as real, such as those admirals, such as those uh, generals in a war room. And then uh, there's the scene aspects, those who are actually fighting on the ground. Some of you who will watch this video, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly how real the super di supernatural dimension is for good or bad, whether you are devoted to other gods or you are a Christian who knows how to pray in the spirit, that knows how to get and work with God on those levels and in those depths. And we can all work with God in the supernatural in different depths, depending. It just really depends on how much we are able and how much we're willing to give ourselves to God in order to be used in those ways. So one of the places is in a letter to a group of believers in the city of Ephesus, which we call the letter to the Ephesians. This is in the Mediterranean Mediterranean area. Uh, the city, I don't believe, is in, in, in existence, lived in today, but there are ruins. And so here, God's ambassador, Jesus' ambassador, apostle, the apostle Paul, he is writing to them to encourage them. And here, this is what he says. He says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. So here, Paul, he is saying he is telling them there's some armor that God has provided you, but you need to make sure you have it all on so you can stand against the tactics of the devil, the unseen enemy, the the supernatural enemy that we don't interact with like that on a day to day basis. Verse 12. For our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, me and you. It's not between us, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. King James says in high places and heavenly places. And so this is what we're referring to when Satan rebelled. There was at least one third of the angels that actively rebelled with him. And you can see that in my video, as I said, 
who is the dragon what is the dragon i will link it down below and i break that down from revelation chapter 12 and you can go through and you read it for yourself or listen to it in an audio bible and you can see exactly god lays it all out for us there's no guesswork very straightforward verse 13 it says this is why you must take up the full armor of god so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand now when you continue reading in this passage it uh paul he starts describing the different aspects of armor that god has provided for us and those aspects of armor many of them actually deal with our character and spiritual supernatural positioning now in order for you to know that you have to have your initial and continuing encounters with god as the holy spirit in order to know this is why being part of a spirit-filled church is so important and not just a spirit-filled church but a spirit-filled church that is actively teaching from god's word so there is spiritual warfare that is taking place and has been taking place ever since the fall or even before the fall i should say um when i think of the temptation of eve that was literally spiritual warfare it was a war of ideas um when it comes to communism and socialism and capitalism these are a war of ideas that are being fought in political offices that that's the type of warfare you're fighting for the minds the hearts and the souls of people and so spiritual warfare has been taking place ever since lucifer rebelled technically and that was there was that first initial rebellion watch my video on the origin of lucifer there was that first initial rebellion and then there was the temptation of eve the rebellion of adam because he knew better and so from spiritual warfare we talk about the victor the one who is going to conquer and that goes back to the seed of the woman crushing striking the head of the serpent now when it comes to the serpent striking the heel of the seed and i talked about this got ahead of myself but this is the way that lucifer the demons all use so many people to oppose what jesus christ was doing and this is in a lot of ways like uh, when you read the story about moses if you get into the book of exodus how moses was opposed one by his own people the hebrews the israelites and then he was opposed by pharaoh and the egyptians and there were times even after pharaoh and the egyptians let the israelites go from being enslaved the israelites continued to oppose moses not understanding what god was trying to do through moses so lucifer satan the devil he has a spiritual council he has those that work with him he has one third of god's angels and within the book of revelation and throughout the different places in the bible it talks about there's this innumerable uncountable number of angels that have stayed faithful to god and so lucifer has a he has an army he has or what what they use in the scriptures a host but he has an army he has rankings and that's what we've seen in ephesians all the principalities and powers those are ranking titles for different leaders of different places so you 
in our day, we have governors, we have senators, we have mayors, um, we may have uh, city council members. These are different places, different positions of authority for different areas and different regions. And that's what that was in Ephesians. And so God has, he, he establishes us when we are born again of water and spirit, baptized in Jesus name, experientially filled with God's Holy Spirit with the initial sign of praying in the spirit, what we say speaking in other tongues, but it is praying in the spirit. Our spirit begins to pray as we, as it is reborn. It is your spirit crying out just like that newborn baby when a newborn baby comes, it begins to cry. It, ha- it can't speak clearly. It doesn't know how to speak clearly. Praying in the Spirit is a development, learning how to be sensitive, learning how to properly pray in the Spirit. It's uses speaking in tongues, talking in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit, different dimensions of these things. And so when we are born again, reborn into God's family, after we repent, after we turn away from sin, after God convicts our hearts about our sin. He's not trying to condemn us. He's trying to help us to see our condition and our place. This is like when you go to a doctor and the doctor is helping you to realize you have some issues going on. You have some health issues. That's that's why you feel a certain way. The doctor is not trying to condemn you. He's trying to point out that there's a problem. And then hopefully we hang around long enough to hear what his solutions are if we have a good doctor. And so God he he will draw us to himself. He'll try to bring conviction. He'll shed light on what's going on in our lives. He'll he'll empower us to turn from our life of sin, our life of error. And then we are to take that life, bury it in baptism, being baptized in Jesus' name. Then we either before or after we will be filled with God's Holy Spirit experientially and evidentially with his supernatural sign that he gives to all those who are open to it, who believe, as we say, but all those who are open to it and take him at his word. And then we become, we become, we start getting trained on how to live an upright life, a righteous life, as we say, how to live in right relation to God, how to live in right relation to those who are now our brothers and sisters in God's family, how we wage spiritual supernatural warfare and knowing the closer we get to God knowing how real and how true the eventual victory is and so Jesus Christ once he was crucified his crucifixion he was willingly crucified he knew the crucifixion needed to happen on in his human nature and identity and God knew it needed to happen that's why God himself came down created himself this human identity and life and made this sacrifice. As we get further into the series, you'll see the need for sacrifice. But the need for sacrifice is you have a person who who is in an impure state and God's perfect nature requires that there is a judgment for sin, a judgment for rebellion. And so what does God do? He first, before he comes to Jesus Christ, he, like I said, talked about planning ahead. I love God. I appreciate God that he planned ahead as he creates these animals, all these different types of animals. What we eventually learn is some clean, some unclean. And that was for specific purposes as well. I don't want to get too much ahead of myself more than I have already. But the clean animals were for sacrifice. 
And so God says, when you commit certain sins, because certain sins there was no sacrifices for, adultery, murder, certain sins, there were no sacrifices for certain sins. And that was because by the time you, you committed some of these sins, you had failed to recognize all the times God stopped you or um, you didn't listen to the accountability of your community or whatever it is. And so God, but on the, on the aspects where there was sacrifices for sins, God says, there needs to be judgment for sin because of my perfect nature. That's like uh, during COVID, right? We people, we were like some people, some of us, we were really harsh about how we treated people who were a lot softer about how we were dealing with COVID. Some of us were a lot more harsh and, and we were like, er, you're not coming near me. You don't want to, you know, take the medication. You don't want to, whatever it is, stay away from me. You know, uh, we were very harsh about that. And so we we try to judge God on how harsh we are perceive him to be, but yet we were very harsh. Some of us were very harsh with other people that were our loved ones. And so God's, that's how we perceive God to be. We perceive God to be very harsh, but God, it's not him trying to be harsh. It's actually him trying to protect us because it's like he's, he's often compared to a fire. A fire will burn up everything in its path and God's pure nature will burn up everything that is impure that comes in contact with him. And that's kind of where that conviction comes from. God's presence meets our meets our dead spirit, comes in contact with our dead spirit, and it causes us to see how pure he is in comparison to our impurity. And so God, he creates these animals such as lambs, such as sheep, sometimes goats, doves. He creates certain animals and he says, use these, depending on your economic level, what you can afford, he says, use these to take your place to cover your sin when you commit certain sins. And that's why I love God so much because it's he wants the relationship. That's why he created the sacrifices. I mean, just blows my mind, just his his great love and care. And so when we see the victor and the victory, the one who conquers for us, our creator in Jesus Christ, he conquers Satan. He he humbles himself. He lives as a poor individual among us when he should have came as a rich king. And he allows people, his own creation, as well as the spirits that were poking and prodding uh, those people. He allows them to poke and prod to get him to the place of being crucified. And crucifixion was a punishment for really bad criminals, for murderers, for insurrectionists, for those who cause rebellion. And so Jesus had committed none of those. He had committed no sin. And so our creator in Jesus Christ brings his sacrifice, brings his, his human life as a sacrifice to cover our sin. And so we see, of course, we see that. And that's what, that's just kind of the beginning of our journey. And so when we talk about the, the opposition, the supernatural opposition, Paul talks about this in his letter to the believers in the city of Corinth. And it says, however, we do speak of wisdom. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. It says, however, we do speak of wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. Talking about this time period where Jesus Christ, God and Jesus Christ is not physically ruling and reigning on the earth yet. Or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing on the contrary. 
we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before before the ages for our glory. There were certain things that God did not reveal so that way he could show how much he loved us. He wanted to reveal his wisdom, his insight, and his foreknowledge. He saved that wisdom to share with us at the right time for our glory because that's he loves us so much. Man, just, just the things that are hitting me right now as I'm sharing this. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom. This connects right back to Ephesians chapter 6. The principalities, the powers, the rulers of darkness, the spiritual wickedness, the spiritually wicked leaders in the heavens. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They would not have crucified our creator in Jesus Christ. They would not have crucified him because he was bringing his sacrifice in order to bring us back to himself, as well as to prove that just as Adam submitted himself to Satan and forfeited his dominion, his rulership as the head of mankind, our creator in Jesus Christ showed I'm going to elevate man yet again, and I'm going to give him that place of leadership and rulership, and I'm going to continue to restore him to what I created him to be until I return and perfect his human nature as well. Now, in going back and looking at Jesus's resurrection, this is what it says in the book of Revelation when the, the title Revelation comes from some of the words in the beginning of the book where Jesus as being glorified is being raised into the supernatural dimension, the heavens, as we say. He is revealing something to who is assumed to be the apostle John. The person's name is just John, but it is historically taught and assumed that this is Jesus' disciple, John, the one that he handpicked. And Jesus says that this is a revealing, this is the revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ talking about revelation is to tell the story about the events that are going to be, that we can observe that are leading up to Jesus's physical return. The, the reveal, when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. There are those that teach that he's already come back. I don't know how that can be because Jesus says when he comes back, all the earth will see him. Not just a portion of the earth, not just some people, but he says all the earth will see him. Every eye will see him and all the nations of the earth will mourn. And so this is Jesus Christ in his resurrected body by his supernatural spirit. His, his, his spirit is he in his spirit, he is God. That's what makes him God. And yet he has this human identity as well. And so in Revelation chapter one, verse eight, it says, and the living one, I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades or hell. And so uh, in the book or in the writing to the Jewish Christians, what is known as the book of Hebrews, we are told that it was Satan at one time who who had the power of death. Because when we talk about being dead physically or spiritually in the here and now, it's talking about being disconnected from God. Just as much as if I was to disconnect my computer right now or my screens or my power supply to my camera, 
they would go dead. They are disconnected from the power source. And so we are dead because we are literally, spiritually, supernaturally disconnected from God and the way in which we were uh, meant to be. And so we are living purely by our human nature, our five senses, and what is called our soul, which is technically our brain in the in the Greek language, which is the inspired language of the New Testament writings. This word for soul comes from the word suche. It's technically pronounced a different way, but it's the word suche, which is where we get the word psyche from or the word mind from. And it deals with our desires, our will, and our emotions. And so uh, our soul is dealing with that part of us that historically, um, before psychology and all that, we, it was the part of us that dealt with our desires, our will, and our emotions, which we now know is the part is our brain. It's the physical computer of us. And so Jesus says, I was dead. But look, I am alive. He, Jesus himself is speaking to John. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And so when we look at what God has done and what he promised, that's what I want to emphasize um, is what God has promised and what he has done. God is not mad at us. God, he is not trying to condemn us. One of the things that I like to share is nobody dies for somebody that they hate. Nobody dies for somebody that they want to condemn. They die for people that they love. They lay down their lives for people that they love. In our day, that might be somewhat, um, that might not be something that we see common. In our day, society has been so broken down that we will hardly die for anybody other than ourselves, sometimes not even for our own kids anymore. And so God is not hateful. He's not judgmental. Uh, he does hold us accountable. And just as much as he holds us accountable, there are consequences and outcomes for our judgment or, or judgment for our choices. If I wrong you and I hurt you, there's consequences for that. If you don't want to be my friend anymore, there's consequences for that. Why would you want to be my friend if I'm going to keep on hurting you and I'm not going to apologize? I'm not going to humble myself. I'm not going to try to to reconcile with you. And so if there's consequences for my actions and vice versa. Now, when it comes to being a Christian, we can do our best to humble ourselves, but it still takes two to have a relationship. It takes two to have a friendship. Um, and if both people are not interested, there's no relationship, there's no friendship. And it's the same with God. Both of us have to be Learn to see how God sees, which he helps us to understand by his spirit, by his word, through his church, through his apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, through our brothers and sisters in the faith. When we're born again into God's family of water and spirit, we have to learn to see how God sees, to understand how God understands life, to see the state of humanity and the world as a whole. And, and we get to see through studies like this, how our creator made a promise that he was going to restore us, that he was going to conquer on our behalf. And we get to see through the crucifixion that that is exactly what he did, but yet through the resurrection to give evidence. And let me tell you, the resurrection in itself, God himself, some people are not going to agree with this, maybe a lot of people, God himself said by action, through action and by word, 
that the resurrection itself was not going to be sufficient enough for the rest of those who would believe later. It was by the personal experiences of those that God would spark the faith to believe in him through signs and wonders and miracles. And these are things I have experienced and continue to experience. And I get to see God do in the lives of others, not just for myself. My desire is to see God do a miracle in your life and through you do miracles in somebody else's life. And so one of the greatest things at the end of this is that uh, Satan used the woman to cause the downfall of all of humanity. And yet it was through a woman, Mary, the Virgin or the Virgin Mary, a young lady who kept herself pure, kept herself chaste. Satan used the woman to cause the downfall. And yet God used the woman to cause the uprising and the conquering, the reconquering of mankind over Satan. And so what are your questions? What are your comments? Let me know down below and I will interact with you. You can also check me out on my social media pages. I will link those down below, Facebook, Instagram. I, I do like Twitter as well. I get on there um, as much as I can. But let me know what do you think and let me know if you have any videos that you would like or topics that you would like covered. But in the next video, we are going to talk about in the next episode, we're going to begin to talk about what happened after Adam and Eve fail what happened when the nature of sin was introduced into them, that nature of rebellion and error of imperfection, what happened once that was introduced. And until the next video, like, subscribe. If you got something out of this, give it a thumbs up and God bless you in Jesus name.